A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Today, with me, I will be sitting down talking to Mr. Alex Fast, pitcher list at MLB. You've seen on ESPN. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Got to ask Alex a ton of questions that's been on my mind about writing, researching. Aside from the fantasy aspect of things, and we also got a chance to talk about some fantasy baseball, so enjoy. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All righty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Today, my special guest is Mr. Alex Fast, a man that needs no introduction whatsoever. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. You might have seen him on ESPN, MLB Network. Um, Alex, how are you today? I'm good, man. Thanks so much for having me. I got a nice little uh, cup of tea here. Trying try to mix up how I do my tea. I started doing it like, I think it's like the English way where you add like milk and honey to it. I don't know if I should be drinking it with like a pinky up or something, but uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah, Yeah, you got to go pinky up. Yeah, yeah. Either either the English way or the Italian way. It always seems to be the pinky up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. More refined that way. But yeah, thanks for having me, man. You're welcome. I've never gone down the the milk and and honey add into the tea. How is it? It's... It's not bad. It sweetens it up a little bit. It makes it like it makes it a little easier to go down. I, I, give it a shot. Give it a shot. You're, you're really just doing like a splash just to get the color of milk. But give it a shot. You let me know what you think. I, I think it's pretty good. I think it's like 60 grade. I think it's pretty good. What would you think if because I don't I don't um, do dairy. So do you think mm-hmm. almond milk would like really throw it off? What no, think? I think almond milk would be great. Yeah? I think almond okay. milk would be real nice. Yeah. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do an afternoon tea with some milk and honey. <laughs> there um, we go. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, tell me about your life path to where you are today. You know, um, mm-hmm. how, how you got here. Was this a goal of yours or, you know, what, what, what made Alex fast? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, 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 I've always been a baseball fan. Like I grew up a baseball fan. I mean, I grew up in, in, in Maryland outside of Baltimore. Um, so the Orioles sucked. You know, I mean, like when I was a kid, they were pretty good. It was like the, you know, the, the Cal Ripken era. So everyone became an Orioles fan because he was everywhere. He was, you know, Mr. Iron Man. He was the Iron Man. Um, so I was an Orioles fan, but then they sucked, right? 13 years of losing seasons. They were just absolutely brutal. Um, so it's not that I fell off, but it wasn't something that I was watching every day. And I, I went to, to NYU for theater. And that was what I was doing with my life. I was an actor. I was an actor for like eight to 10 years. I had my own theater company and was, you know, doing shows in, in Pennsylvania and in Philadelphia and Brooklyn and in Manhattan and doing off-Broadway work and stuff. And then uh, a buddy of mine invited me to be in a fantasy league, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And, and I just like, I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll give it a shot. I'd done plenty of fantasy football. And I just like became obsessed with it. 
and you know started writing these large breakdowns uh for the league each week just like ripping my team members a new one each week for all the dumb stuff that they had done i sent one of those to nick pollock who had an open call on reddit at the time um who was like anyone who's going to write this much about a nonsense fantasy baseball league is someone that i want writing on my staff so i started out doing like weird prospect stuff i remember writing up like Tyler Glasnow and, and, you know, Joe Musgrove back then. Um, and then just kind of made my way into it more and more. And yeah, like I'm not someone who's like always been obsessed with baseball for my entire life. I came into the fantasy scene a little bit later than others and really had to play catch up. And, you know, thanks to the, the great community that we have, you know, guys like Justin Mason and, uh, you know, Casey Bubba, um, they, they were really great about bringing me on and teaching me and getting me on their podcast, which was really awesome. Um, and then, yeah, now here I am. Here I am talking to you. That's amazing. Awesome. That's some path that you took. Very, uh, yeah. Got into, yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear, you know, that, that a single little fantasy league pulled you back into this crazy little, you know, baseball world that we have. That's awesome. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's, that's the thing too. Like people like, I think sometimes it's, uh, sometimes we can get lost into a competition of like how many NFBC leagues people are in or, you know, how much weird esoteric baseball trivia that they know. Like that, I don't, I don't do any NFBC leagues mostly because work doesn't let me. Um, and also I'm probably bad at MLB trivia, but like, it doesn't, you know, I'm an okay analyst at least, you know what yeah. I mean? Like we don't, it's like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a competition in that way. No, absolutely right. And I love how you mentioned that you, that used to do like league league write-ups. Um, that's awesome because I feel like that. I feel like Nick was right. Like if you're gonna spend time, you know, on this, you, you know, it, it can. What else do you have in your brain, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Way that's, too. I used to spend like three hours on those each Monday, just like oh, too much, too right. much. It's something I try to do in my home leagues, and it's just like it. It's a lot. It's a lot to you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good, though. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about CSW. Um, it's mm -hmm. an article that you won an FSWA Research Article of the Year Award for. Um, that must have been a tremendous feeling when you when you uh, found out that news. Um, yeah. yeah, so walk me through the whole CSW, how it came about, how you started uh, digging into it, and you know how it can be applied in the fantasy world. Yeah, great question. So um, Nick... Pollock, you know, for those listening, I'm sure you know, but founder and, and creator of PitcherList, he has so many brilliant ideas, right, that he just kind of spouts out every once in a while. And I'm usually the person who's like, oh, let me explore that a little bit more. You know, I'm mean, like, he's the one who comes up with the ideas. And then for a while, I was the one who was like, let me see if there's any viability to that. So he comes up with called strikes plus whiffs. It was something that he had been applying every once in a while, but never really done any research or digging into the fact of whether or not it was really viable, right? He knew, obviously, it was to some extent because, you know, called strikes and whiffs make up a majority of what pitchers need to be doing. So essentially what I did was I, you know, I worked with Colin Charles, who's a data scientist over at PitcherList, and we just kind of put as many numbers together as we could and found out, you know, that Nick was really onto something. CSW was incredibly viable and uh, showed a lot of not just, um, predictiveness, but predictiveness to other stats that we really rely on, like Sierra, right? So CSW can be really important in terms of your fantasy analysis uh, in, in noticing trends uh, to either help you pick up guys off the waiver wire or see who's performing better than expected or um, the, the key example that I keep wanting to use about it is like, it, it, it isn't a great example now that I think about it, but Asher Wojciechowski in the very first start, I think of 
2020 maybe it was had like a really bad line but a really good csw he ended up giving up like six earned runs or something like that but i think four of those earned runs came in the final uh inning for him and his csw was way above average and it takes about five to seven starts overall for csw to kind of normalize but the point is it provided context to that start, right? If you just looked at the box score, you'd see, okay, Asher Wojciechowski, six run runs, he got destroyed. Asher Wojciechowski is going to be Asher Wojciechowski. He's never going to be someone that I consider for fantasy purposes. But if you look at the CSW, you see the context, you see the nuance, you see underneath the box score to see what's actually going on in that start. And that's kind of why I like CSW because overall it provides more context, which is really what kind of fantasy analysis is all about, finding that context. Right, right, and and piecing together a large puzzle of different metric that we could use and apply. I I like how you said the uh, box scores because my box score scans these days um, are vastly different from when I grew up scanning the daily news. <laughs> and, you know, like I used to like memorize those box scores, and that was my morning routine. And every day would scan that. But now, you know, you can really get all. Uh, a bunch of information from box scores, like way, way above what the standard used to be. Yeah, without a doubt. I don't even know how, like at this point we have to like stop. We have to be like, okay, that's enough. Like, I get it. I get what happened in this game. Let's move on. You know what I mean? Cause I'm, I even remember in one of the starts, it was like, DJ LeMahieu went 0 for 4, but he had an expected batting average of 750. And it's like, you can just go, you know, you can like go crazy, like yeah. getting into the nuance of each game. Yeah, yeah. What does this mean? What did this all mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, good God, just enjoy the baseball game. Just like relax. Yeah. So in terms of CSW, I was wondering, do certain pitches um, have specific CSW benchmarks? Uh, like some pitches may not be designed to um, be in the zone or induce swing. So how, how did that affect? Um, CSW, or if it does in any way. Man, I, I don't think I've ever been asked that question, which is really fascinating. You're talking about like a pitch type level overall. Yeah, yeah, pitch that's type level. Great. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, um, I think when when you're going to look at CSW, obviously you're going to break it down into its two particular parts, right? The called strikes and the whiffs. And if you're looking at fastballs overall, you're most likely going to be more called strike dependent, right? There was a piece that I just put out called the in defense of non elevated fastballs, and Walker Bueller is a guy who doesn't always elevate, right? He's a guy who actually elevates below league average or sort of at league average. And usually what he does is in first strike counts, he goes with his fastball low at the knees, right? And that's a called strike machine for him. And he's not the only one. Shane Bieber's another guy who does that. So usually early on in counts, guys will usually throw a fastball and that'll be called strike dependent. And then on two strikes, they will elevate, get the swinging, the swinging strike. And that's where the, you know, this SW or the W I guess comes in from CSW um, and that's kind of the benefit of the metric right because it's piecing all those things together but yeah if we were looking and breaking it down fastballs are going to be more called strike dependent overall and who relies on them for whiffs is going to be pretty important whereas sliders and curveballs are usually going to be a little bit more whiff dependent I think there's a little more context that we're seeing with curveballs in particular thanks to you know Ben Palmer's piece about breaking pitches like you can get ahead with first pitch curveballs a guy like someone we're going to discuss later and Dylan Bundy had a lot of success doing that no one's going to rarely will guys swing at first pitch curveballs so I guess overall, pitches like curveballs and fastballs, you can have more called strike success on early on in counts, whereas pitches like sliders, splitters, 
And I guess even change-ups will be more whiff dependent later on in counts. So it's interesting. Maybe it's not about being pitch type dependent, but being count dependent. It's a count really dependent. fascinating question. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, there was, um, I was wondering about that. There's a whole bunch of, you know, count dependent too. I didn't think of that, but that's actually, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, interesting. I might have to do some more digging on my own. <laughs> I know. You got, you, you got me thinking on that too. It's a great question. It's a really great question. Awesome. So walk me through your process of writing and research because um, um, I'm trying to write more these days and sometimes I just hit like a wall and I have to walk away a little bit. And I just want to know if this is more like an intuitive process for you or do you sit there and force yourself to write something and whether it comes more from watching the games or scanning baseball, savant, um, you know, or, the, you know, just reading articles and spreadsheets or did a mix of all. How do you get to your your core of writing? I hate it. <laughs> I hate everything. I hate everything about it, dude. I hate it. I absolutely despise it. I yeah. my 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 wife will tell you. Nick will tell you. It consumes me. It keeps me. It genuinely keeps me up nights. I cannot go to sleep. Um, I I think to start, it's like I usually find something on baseball savant that's interesting. I guess we can look at non-elevated fastballs as an example. Um, what are maybe maybe overall I didn't even realize it. What are the kind of proven rules? Do they exist? And then how can we quantify them? I usually start with that, you know, like for example, elevated fastballs are always the way to go. Well, what happens if we take a, a, a deeper dive? Then I just try and gather as much research as possible. And I'm fortunate that I have a, a really friendly network of people that let me bother them with questions. And the worst part about asking people questions in this industry is A, they're all so nice because they're always going to answer. And B, a majority of them are going to answer with different questions, right? Mm. And those questions are going to beget more research. And then that cycle just continues, right. you know what I mean? Over and over and over again. So I think usually what I think, what I try and do then is gather all that research, find all the different branches leading from this main root of the question, right? And then try and gather all that information together, make claims based on that research and then put it all together. I think the one thing that I try and think about when I'm writing is who's going to read this and have the best rebuttal and how can I address that rebuttal before they put it in the comments. You know what oh. I mean? I always want to be thinking of like, well, who's going to read this and think of the exact opposite? Who's going to read this and play devil's advocate? And can I address what they're going to bring up in the piece? I don't know why that is. I think I just want to try and, I try and really focus on like, I'm not correct all the time. I don't have a hundred percent of the answers. You know what I mean? And it's unfair to assume that I will. So it's, uh, and I think you have another good question about this later on, but it's not about presenting an argument that's a hundred percent foolproof. Sometimes it's just about getting thoughts onto the page and then seeing where it goes from there. And if that means more questions come from it, then so be it. Right. Right. Maybe. Yeah. That's why you're having trouble writing because you just have an overload of, of stuff that you, and, and you're trying to really cover all your bases. So oh, it must be just a, you know, massive overload in your brain. Dude, I'm trying to cover every base in every stadium. I'm trying yeah. to like get it all out there and, and I hate it. And that's why I hate it. it I, and listen, I hope no one's listening to it and thinking, Oh, that's a good thing. No, don't be like me. Find your own way. That's not my way, please. Well, we want to be like you if we want to win FSWA awards, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that was what I was going to ask you. Like, have you ever dove into something only to realize there wasn't really anything there and whether or not that 
that dive or that information you consumed was wasted to you? Or do you feel like all information that you can consume is relevant to, you know, to something you can use in the future? Yeah, I think it is all relevant, even when it's wrong. Um, and I, I think, you know, there's, there's a, a phrase that I love to say, which is, you know, try, ever tried, ever failed, try again, fail again, fail better, right? Mm. And doing those kind of long research projects that bear nothing are failures, but they're good failures because they're letting you know that you were wrong and that's totally okay. And I, I don't know if there was, ex I think there was one article, maybe it was one about Christian Walker where I, I wrote it and it was like, I didn't really come to a consensus that there were any major findings. You know what I mean? Hmm. That there wasn't, this, he wasn't doing, I don't know if it was the Christian Walker one, but whoever it was, wasn't doing anything that was like, hey, check this out. Player X is doing this with that. And I think sometimes those need to be published as well. And that could just me being lazy, me being lazy, but I, I think it's not every piece needs to be that home run. Sometimes it can be like, you know, player X is doing what we thought he was. And just right. equating that in that way, I think is totally fine. I don't think a, a, a writer would necessarily succeed if every piece he wrote was, hey, there's nothing happening here. But I think sometimes <laughs> it's okay to like be like, hey, I did all of this and I got nowhere and that's okay. Right. Interesting. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to take that and, uh, and use that in my brain because I feel like sometimes I run into a wall and I'm like, ah, oh, and I get mad at myself, but I guess you're right. Everything could be, you know, useful most ways. I feel. And like. that's the thing yeah. too. Like you, you, you might publish, like it, you might publish something that you think is, Oh, I, I knew this. And then someone could read it and be like, Oh, I actually never thought of it that way. You know what I mean? You know what? That's a good point, Alex. Thank you for bringing that up. That's that's tremendous because yeah, maybe someone either didn't do that deep dive that you did, and or just didn't see the you know obvious things that you saw. So that's a good point. I like that. Yeah. Because not everyone had the same you know capacity for taking in stats and reading articles. So definitely, awesome. Definitely. So I wanted to talk about. So maybe some possible ways that people may misuse stats or metrics. I found that when I first started getting into analytics, I was comparing some stats, you know, that maybe had different denominators and it didn't make sense when I, you know, really started to dig into, you know, how to compare stats for, you know, evaluating fantasy players. So um, have you found like an area where people make mistakes the most? Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I'm going to phrase it as these are the places that I messed up the most, just like you, you know what I mean? These right. are the places that it took me a long time because I, 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 sometimes I, you know, I see people who are like, who gatekeep this kind of stuff or mm -hmm. like, how dare it even happened recently where I wrote a piece and then someone said something about tunneling. And I was like, that's just so counter to what I think this, this, um, this, this, this industry is, you know what I mean? Right. It's all about helping other people. So the things that I, messed up for a really long time or got obsessed with and might've been heading down the wrong path. Uh, spin rate is secondary. It, it's not the end all be all when it comes to the pitch design, right? If anything, it's actually a tertiary metric. So I think for a while when I was saying, oh, this guy's got a really good spin rate on a pitch that actually doesn't matter that much. It's a part of it. Um, what matters most, is, oh, so my, my friend Josh uh, said this, really good quote about spin rate. He said, spin rate helps bolster unique characteristics. Unique mm -hmm. characteristics, it does not create them. It's simply a component of them. So really it's spin efficiency and then tilt or spin axis, which is something that Baseball Savant just made public. That's really, really important, right? Also something um, like 
Bauer units is 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 really big, um, which is you know normalizing spin rate to velocity. That's that's really important. But in in a vacuum, spin rate in and of itself, a guy being in the 98th percentile of spin rate really doesn't matter all that much. Um, another one is like stats like expected woba um, are are not as predictive as we think they are. The year-over-year correlation between WOBA and expected WOBAcon uh, and WOBA to itself isn't that great, meaning that WOBA is actually just as good as a predictor year-over-year. So I I think sometimes I used to go down the wrong path of being like, oh, well, his expected WOBA was this, therefore we can expect he's going to regress or head towards that number in 2021. And that isn't necessarily the case, especially if they're playing in the exact same park, because a majority of a lot of park factors are going into things like that. Um, A a batter isn't always going to improve or decline to match that ex woba. So I think that was an an important thing for me, me to hear too. I think overall, the grand thing is like, don't put, I, I, it's so cheesy, but I always come back to it. Metrics are puzzle pieces. Right. Right. There are corner puzzle pieces, which are the more important ones, the foundations of a puzzle. But really, every other metric is just a piece of that puzzle. And and they're all just as important. That's wonderful. I like that. I like that right there. That's a perfect way to put it. While we take a quick little break, enjoy our next robot segment by Phil DeSoe. This is the Robot Is It Real segment where the robot himself, Phil Dusso, talks about random baseball stats. I've heard way too often that we should fade a player because last year he had a 100 average or a 200 ex-woba against breaking pitches. This never made sense to me because average and ex-woba are based on the net bat, so those stats can't be calculated properly on a per-pitch basis. If a batter whiffs on two fastballs, then lays off two curveballs, and finally strikes out on third curveball, it hurts his average NX Wobble on breaking pitches. But that's not the real story of the at-bat. What really happened is that because the he couldn't hit the fastball, he found himself behind in the count. I decided to look at hitters who faced 300 or more breaking pitches in, cons- in consecutive seasons since 2015, and try to project their X Wobble on breaking pitches the following year. If I'm using a player's total ex-woba and ex-woba against breaking pitches from 2020 to predict his ex-woba on breaking pitches in 2021, I need to use an 80-20 split in favor of the overall ex-woba. That means the player's overall skill is a much better indicator of how he will do against breaking pitches than how he actually performed against breaking pitches in the previous year. In other words, a batter's ex-woba against breaking pitches is very inconsistent from year to year, so there's no point in using it. Speaking of the spin rate and the tilt and the axis, I wanted to n- know what the, um, if pine tar, this, uh, you know, it's, it's prominent now in the news. Um, so does that play a role in, in spin rate and all that? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So usually, uh, you know, according to Bauer, <laughs> it's all ironic <laughs> that the centers around Bauer continue <laughs> considering he used it. Um, yeah. He, he, well, he actually didn't use pine tar. He used a substance that no one knows what it is yet. But he, he essentially said the only way that a player can improve their spin rate um, on a particular pitch, a certain amount, like a drastic amount, is the use of a substance, 
right? Um, and it's so funny because I brought up Bauer units, but Bauer units is actually the best way to see if someone is using a substance. Bauer units is very simple. It's like RPM, mm-hmm. it's spin rate divided by velocity. And what it does is it normalizes spin rate and spin efficient, uh, yeah, spin rate. Because a guy who's throwing like 2,500 RPM, he, he, if he's doing that at 97 miles an hour, it's not that impressive. If he's doing it at 92 miles an hour, that's really impressive, right? So Bauer right. normalizes for that. And if you see, lo- the, the, who do you think had the largest jump in Bauer units between last year and this year? Ooh, largest jump in Bauer units. Um, what, did Trevor Bauer himself? It was indeed Trevor Bauer mm. himself, right? Of course. And of course, exactly. <laughs> and I think what he, I think what I had seen is that anything over 300 RPM in jump usually means a, a substance. And if I recall correctly, because I think I've asked some pitching coaches, like, well, are there ways to improve your spin rate? And there are, but not drastically, right? I think there can be certain grip uh, tweaks and certain mechanic tweaks that will lead to a slight bump in in spin rate, but anything that's over 300 RPM is using a substance. And, you know, if you look at those Bauer units leaders, like you just said, he pops out. Yeah. Interesting. All, all interesting stuff. It's sometimes I, I try to get into the spin stuff. I'm, I'm getting better with science, um, scientific stuff. Uh, I'm trying to learn how to, uh, and take it and, and, and digest it more in my brain. Um, so I wanted to ask you, I heard on your recent podcast, your recent pitchless podcast, talking about true first strike rate. And, um, yeah. I was wondering if you could break that down for me and maybe explain why it's pretty critical to understand. I love that you asking me this question is finding the craziest person in a, in a park and giving him a soapbox because <laughs> I, I, like, I, I, all I want to do is, is like, if I could go down with one thing to my name, it's not CSW, it's true F strike. So really? F strike, yeah, it's, it's just, it cracks me up because like, and it's no, it's no one's fault. It's, it's, it's like, we were promised something that isn't what it is, right? So F-strike is a metric that is commonly used, in my opinion, as who's getting ahead first, right? Who's getting to 01 counts the most, right? right. And everyone should be using it that way. It's called F-strike. The, 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 the metric tells you what it is. What the metric doesn't let you know is that it actually takes balls and in play into account. Mm. So if, if Clayton Kershaw gives up a hit on 01 or on 00 counts, that positively benefits his F strike, which leads then people to believe that Clayton Kershaw has a better F strike than he does, right? right. So I, that's what kind of frustrates me about it is we're, we were using it incorrectly, or maybe it was just me, but how can I blame anyone for using it incorrectly when it's called F strike? You know, you know right. what I mean? Right. So True F-strike simply removes batted balls from the equation. We're literally just letting you know. It's really CSW plus foul balls in OO counts. Who is getting ahead to O1? Who is Who actually has an F-strike, right? You can now, then you can take F-strike actually, compare it to true F-strike and see who's giving up the most batted balls in OO counts. But I, I, I really think that true F-strike should be the way to go if what we're doing is trying to equate who's getting ahead the most. Right. And, and where can where can one find true F-strike if they're looking to see maybe a leaderboard or something on it? That's a great question. I think... Um, I, I think, think the pitch Alex leaderboard, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was, think he put it in there for me. 
Yeah. Because I like yeah. DM'd him and I was like, for the love of God, please put this in. I saw it there. I was wondering if you knew of anywhere else. Because every, you know, the, there's no podcast complete without a mention of um, the pitch leaderboard. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like this little janky website that we all like crawl to. Like, yeah. you know, I love Alex, but it goes like two frames a second, you know, because there's so much data there. And it's like, we're all just like waiting for it to load. I, I love it. It's a great website. <laughs> yeah, absolutely is. Um, technology and, and baseball, um, you know, a lot of players complained about the, the lack of video use this year. And I think, you know, obviously technology is huge in our world and there's no way I think it's going to be suppressed. I think it's going to advance. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on, um, you know, what you think will happen this year, at least maybe with guys being able to access video and like, what's the, be- what's the most important way that um, players benefit from it in game? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you already hit the nail on the head. You know, Sarah's also really set a great piece about Christian Yelich not being able to use in-game video and stuff like that. I think it also, I don't know if it's been written about yet, but I think I heard that it also drastically affected how pitchers were able to prepare at the beginning of their games. And then I know I talked to certain pitchers who, you know, they could also like to look at what happened over the course of a game and they couldn't see that. So I think it's going to be a better return to normalcy, right? No sport has players that rely on habit more than baseball right because you're playing 162 games a year so I think anytime you're going to be able to get back to getting into those habits is only going to be beneficial for the league as a whole from the from the fantasy side what I think is interesting or from from the analyst side I guess I should say Hawkeye is I think going to allow us to see limb tracking wow um and that I, I think Mike Petriello hinted about this in his most recent piece about spin direction and that's going to be really big because it could theoretically start to give us bat speed stuff um which isn't something that i think is publicly available yet um so i think there's a lot of in terms of tech and how that's going to change the game i think there's there's going to be a lot of that coming forward with hawkeye hawkeye is going to be really big Right. Yeah. That's pretty amazing because I, I recently went down the um, like vertical bat angle path and point of contact. And I saw a couple of things. There's um, one cycle swing graphs and, you know, they had some pretty interesting, you know, findings and it, it just, I'm wondering, like, do you think that can like apply to fantasy? Will you be able to see, Oh, this guy swings on a certain path or a certain angle and be, you know, be applicable to what he may be able to sustain during the season. Yeah. Totally. I, I think what we what we might be able to see, and this is, you know, based off a conversation that I had with a guy named Noah Thurm, who's a driveline intern uh, that he kind of opened my eyes to, which is like great follow, by the way. Sorry. Yeah. He, no, yeah, he's he is. He's amazing. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what his, you might just have to look him up on Twitter. I don't remember his exact handle, uh, but it's N-O-A-T-H-U-R-M. Yep. He was talking to me about you know, I, I obviously know most about pitchers. I know much more about pitchers than I do about hitters. But one of the things that uh, he opened my eyes to is batters having different swings in their tool belt, right? Hmm. And what makes Freddie Freeman so good is, you know, right now it's all about elevating fastballs, right? Elevate, elevated fastballs are at a higher percentage than ever before in league history. And in order to be able to get to those elevated fastballs, you need a flatter swing, right? You're not going to be able to theoretically dip down. You need a, a, a flatter swing and there are guys who have those swings in their arsenal that they can access right freddie freeman's one of them Corey seager's another one right he hit two home runs and then the nlcs one he kind of went down and got and the other one was a pure flat that path so i think what we'll be able to do is see 
who has these swings in their arsenal, who's good with them, who's consistent with them. And that's just one possible variation. You know what I mean? But right. I think that's that's a, a cool path that it could open up because theoretically, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want the guy with as many swings in their tool belt as, as possible? You know? Right, right. Absolutely. It totally makes sense. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. It's tons of stuff. It's one of those things, I guess, like we say, when you write an article when I was trying to absorb all the information on them. Like, wow, this is a lot. Like this is not oh. a, this is not a read once through type of situation. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, I need to sit down and really clear out my day to understand oh, this. Dude. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, listen, you and I, you probably have as many monitors as I do and you have your phone next to you and you have a TV on in the background, you're playing music. And sometimes when I read like Alex Chamberlain or Connor Kirkin, I need to go in like a, like a, like a chamber. Like I need to go in like a sleep deprivation chamber just so I can, make sure i understand it like every light has to be off like i'll light a candle i'll play some calming classical music just so i can just focus like because their work is so good it's so high quality that i just want to be able to get it all and then i still will need it to read it like six more times before i understand it (laughs) right and that's what i do like i take so long to read one thing because i'm i'm highlighting like i'll be on my ipad highlighting and Mm. and like you know just making notes and then it takes me so so long to actually read through those things um because it's just a ton of information to really absorb um yeah absolutely and staying on the technology level i know um like the the mba was um pretty much i think at the forefront of like starting with the wearables and to like monitor like the health of their players on on the court and i know baseball um allowed some in-game stuff i think like the modus sleeve and the harness to measure like oxygenation levels and it's something that like they say that they can't access during the game but i i i'm wondering you know how how loose that is and um like maybe is there more to the future of i know there's a lot of like um i guess hipaa concerns and stuff like that with disclosing this type of information players might not want it but um i wonder if you see anything going past what it is now for the wearable yeah it's so i I went to grad school for for tech right and i studied you know ar and vr but there are people around me who were really really into wearables right and it seems like wearables is very much what the way the future is going to be right i mean look at apple watches already right you can track your sleep you can track your heart rate you can track your eating habits you can track all this stuff right in this tiny little apple watch i think what's really interesting about that technology and where the the double edge of the sword is, is where that can then be used in arbitration, right? right? That's what's really fascinating to me. Mm. Yeah, like our our hitters are are batter, like you can go to an NBA player and say, hey, I want you to wear this all the time. Next thing you know, or you give it to an MLB player and say, I want you to wear this all the time. We're going to help you. Next thing you know, you're in an arbitration meeting and they say, well, we knew that you didn't really go to bed on average until around 3 a.m. after your night games. And we think that maybe if you would have gone to bed at like one, you know what I mean? Like, until right. the, of course, I'm being a little tongue in cheek. But if you don't think arbitration gets messy, then I've got some news for you. Um, so <laughs> that's where I think people might be a little concerned about using it, because in, in a perfect world, that I think is the future. You know what I mean? I think having data about that stuff is the most important thing like that that that's what you want to know as long as it isn't weaponized against the players right right i think that the that's that's exactly what i was thinking about as as the you know the con of that the biggest con against that going forward because yeah. for a team you know i think that would be 
excellent information to have. And who knows? Maybe the Rays are using it. And that's why Snell that's pulled all the time. He's dehydrated. It's not about <laughs> his heart rate goes up too high. I don't know. <laughs> the Rays are way smarter than us. So maybe they are utilizing it already. Uh, who knows? Yeah, probably. Probably. They probably yeah. know more about me in the next 10 years than I know about me. You know what I mean? That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, another line I love from your recent picture list pod was um, something on noticing patterns and you said what's tricky is not noticing the patterns. It's noticing why those who aren't following the pattern can have success. And I thought that was really interesting. First, I took me a time to rewind it and actually like write it down the way you said it. <laughs> and that's not because I listen to podcasts at two times speed. It's just because I actually bring yours down because you're like Johnny L. You guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that <laughs> podcast with you and MLB, I I was I had to tone it down. I'm like, man, this is killing my efficiency today. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, tell me about that and what kind of pictures are the, the hardest to describe in terms of their success when they're not following patterns? Yeah, that's such a, man, uh, you, you really are knocking out of the park with these questions. You're really making me think today, which is great. Glad I have this tea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that I think was applied to, to non-elevated fastballs, right? In particular, right? Yeah. There are certain foundational rules of pitching, you know, don't throw a, a changeup OO because it looks like a, a, a bullpen fastball, you know, elevate your fastball a little bit more. Um, the more that I think about it, like all of these dudes are major leaguers. They're all better pitchers than we will ever dream or aspire to be. None of them quote unquote suck. None of them. I don't care how high their ERAs are. And they got to this place. They got to the MLB for a reason. And when we see a pitcher who does things in a unconventional way, they're there for a reason. A good example is, um, Kyle Horton, a writer of Pitcherless, is going to release a piece in the next couple of days about Amir Garrett, right? Amir Garrett pretty much went with two pitches last year, fastball and slider, right? His slider is a dead slider, right? You know what I mean? And I think when, when, when we think of Amir Garrett, the first thing we think of is, well, A, intense competitor, which is awesome. I love seeing him on the mound. B, we look at a lot of data. So we see slider, we see a high swinging strike rate in the slider, and we think, ooh, that's got to be one of the filthiest sliders out there in baseball. That slider by movement profile sucks. Wow. It sucks. It is not a good slider by movement profile. And it is a remarkable pitch. So this is exactly what we're talking about. Why? 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 What makes yeah. it good? What, what makes it, you know, so wait, hold on. You're telling me he's got one of the best swing strike rates on his slider, but his slider doesn't have the best movement. So what makes it good? Um, I don't want to spoil too much of Kyle's piece and you should go read it. Hopefully it's out. I think it's coming out at the end of this week. We're recording on January 11th. So hopefully it's up at the end of this week, but a few things, one, someone at Fangrass might've been David Lorilla. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Wrote that the, the, the slider is actually a change up with gyro spin to it. So it's not necessarily a slider by movement profile. One of the things that I noticed, thanks to baseball savants spin direction metrics that just came out is the spin direction, quite literally the, the, the way in which the ball is spinning to the eye. It looks exactly the same as the fastball. Wow. I mean, looks exactly the same. The release points are exactly the same. So now we're talking about two pitches in a four-seamer and a slider released at the exact same point, spinning in virtually the exact same direction. 
coming in with a lot of horizontal movement. If you're the four seam, the four seam has a lot of horizontal movement. And then the slider, which moves like a, a change up with gyro spin to it. That's what makes Amir Garrett one of the better relievers in fast in, in, in baseball. So if you just looked at it from the, the macro, oh, he's got a good slider. That's what makes him good. But when you dig deeper, you look at all of the exceptions to the rules that Amir Garrett has, and that's what makes him good. Interesting. Well, I love that breakdown. What, what the, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Amir Garrett, I went to St. John's and he went there to play basketball oh. and then he transferred. So I'm mad at him still. <laughs> no, but that's interesting. That's um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's one thing to look at something from far away. And then, like you said, when you really dig in and you, you, you scratch your head and say, why, like, why is this happening? You know? Yes. Could, yeah. That's, that's and what, that's, what's fun to me. Like that's, right, that's, right. that's, what's great. Like what makes Amir Garrett, Amir Garrett. It's not just a simple answer half the time. And I, I love that stuff. And I love how you said fun, because I think alluding to what you said earlier, like you don't, this doesn't have to be bang, like banged over the head of people. Like you, you could, you know, I'm, I'm like that too. Like, I know I'm going to be wrong with so many things that I, I see on players and I'm okay with it. So I go into something and say, this is how I feel about Zach Plesak. And I think he's going to be terrible. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Like, hey, I'm, <laughs> you know? I'm with you. I'm with you. I think he's being drafted too high right now. Yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I've, discuss that i've exhausted my police act talks so, but <laughs> speaking of some pictures i have some 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 four groupings of two pictures that i wanted to see who you rather have because they're close in adp and the first pair is mr dylan bundy versus jesus lazardo mm-hmm. it, it, you know i'll have you know that every single one of these i also asked nick uh, so you're going to get my answers and you're going to guess Nick's answers as well, oh, um, because I, awesome. I wanted to see if he agreed with me or disagreed on, on which of these, on, on oh, some of these. and there's only one that he disagreed with me on. And it was this first one. Okay. Uh, it, I actually, so I, I think, you know, let me put the asterisk, which is it depends on team construct, to be honest. Okay. Right. Um, I don't see Lazardo getting more than 160 innings pitched this year. I think he had about 59 last year and then he had 19, of course, the year before. So anyone who has any aspirations of Jesus Lazardo getting more than 100, <clears throat> 170, 180, I think is is a little bit crazy, especially with the way that the A's are going to treat him. Um, so really, then the question is, is Bundy going to get like 180? Because I don't think Bundy will get 200 because of his injury concerns. And then let's say Lazardo gets 160, Bundy gets 180. Is there enough in that 20 innings pitch difference? Does that mitigate Luzardo's higher floor? Because I do think Lazardo ultimately has a higher floor, right? Um, if you need upside, I think I would go Lazardo. Um, but overall, I think I'm going with Bundy. Now, I think someone could read, hear that and think, okay, well, I guess maybe he thinks that Bundy has a higher, uh, higher floor. Um, I, I misspoke, excuse me. Luzardo has the higher ceiling. Luzardo has a higher ceiling. Um, does Bundy have a higher floor? I don't think Bundy is going to revert back to like a mid four ERA pitcher. I think those are the days in Baltimore and I think those days are gone. And I think, thinking that that would happen would mean him reverting to the same fastball usage that he had when he was in Baltimore. And I think that fastball usage is gone. Um, I, I, I love Bundy and I was so excited for him last year. And as a result of my love for him, I'm terrified of endorsing him. Right. (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? I'm just terrified that he's just going to, but every time I dig into him, he's always on these top 30 lists for performance last year. I love, I know people love to point out his September, right? Uh, he was top 10 in FIP in September also. So I, I don't think you can say like, oh, well, that means he's definitely going to regress and be terrible. There was enough in that change in pitch mix that I, I believe in it. And 
Is the drop in velocity scary? Yes. Does the drop in velocity across the board make me think that it was likely due to the COVID season? Yes. Um, he, this is also not a, this Bundy is turning into a capital P pitcher. He is not Zach Greinke because no one can be, but he pitches like Zach Greinke and that he is pitching. You know what I mean? He's not right. going to blow by you with 97 mile an hour fastballs. He's going to confuse you with first pitch curveballs and then elevate an O2 fastballs because no one's going to expect that because his fastball sucks. Um, so I think while I do believe that Luzardo could put it all together, finally, I think I'm actually going to go Bundy. That was where Nick and I disagreed. Interesting. I like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm been a Bundy fan too. Hey, mm. You know what? One, one thing I wanted to ask you about is the, the, before we get into the next group, the, the innings pitch thing. I know mm. that, you know, starters are pitching less innings and relievers are pitching more. We've got more two or three inning spans. Um, at, at some point, do you think that we're going to stop, you know, being so um, tuned into he's only going to throw 160 to the point where we're like 160 becomes the new 180? You know, like it's a, like uh, there's a level that dropped and say, hey, well, 200 is rarely done. You know, do you think that's going to be something that evolves in the future, like where no one's throwing 200? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think Jason Collette is really your guy for this because okay. every year he's the guy who rants and raves against like stop looking for the 200 innings pitched guy. Like there is no year over year consistency overall. You know what I mean? Gone are the days of the Madison Bumgarner and Corey Kluber who are automatic locks for 200 innings pitched, right? So right. I love that Collette points that out, right? Because that kind of fits into the narrative that we're talking about. It's a thing that we all think happens every year, but it's inconsistent and rare so i think you're right i think it's already starting to happen where that number is slowly going from okay i need it i want a guy who's a quote-unquote innings eater i want a guy who's lance lynn 200 innings it's slowly shifting to like okay maybe i need a guy who's going to get me 180 who's going to get me that 180 uh and i think there's a lot of interesting you know maybe for you or for anyone listening there's a lot of interesting analysis to be done about what hurt or helps your team more there. Like that gap I was talking about between 160 of Luzardo and 180 of Bundy, if they're close, you know, how, how close do they need to be to make a right. difference? Right. What does the ERA need to be to make that extra 20 innings make a difference? You know? Right, right, absolutely. So the next pairing I have for you is Joe Musgrove versus Alcantara. Yeah, I mean, man, you know, I would love to say Joe Musgrove because every year it's like, hey, what the hell is Joe Musgrove doing on this top 10 list? You know what I mean? Like he always like finds a way, like, of course, there's Joe Musgrove. I still want to see him put it all together, right? He's had one year of over 170 innings. And I think it was at exactly 170 or right around there. And even with that in 2019, the first half was terrible. He was messing with his extension. Um, I would love to see him put it all together. I think if they're going at the same cost, you're paying for Musgrove really assuming he's going to put it all together. And I don't know if I'm ready to make that assumption at that cost. So I think Eileen Alcantara, who's got a fantastic pitch mix, he's already hit 190 innings pitched. So I'm not as concerned about injury with him moving forward. Musgrove, there's always something that pops up with him every year. Even last year, there was something that popped up for him. He's on the worst team. The Marlins don't necessarily have the best offense, but I think you could probably pay first base for the Pirates at this point. Um, <laughs> and that's not a slight at you. I mean, just like literally anyone could play, you know, could try out for, for the pirates. Um, I got a mean scoop at first, by the way. You do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, did you play, scoop. did you play first? No, I didn't play first. I played short and third. I wanted to be cool. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, and pitched. No big deal. Yeah. But you know what? I, my, my brothers were usually my coaches. So they, they probably uh, just did me a favor and stuck me there. No, that's nice. Hey, that's better than some <laughs> brothers would do. Some brothers would be like, you're riding the pine for the entire game, um, which is where, where I was. So I got really no right to talk. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's my argument. I think Alcantara ha- still has plenty of upside there. It's not like Alcantara is a bad pitcher. It's not like you're settling for Alcantara. I right. think overall, Musgrove might have the higher ceiling, but we have yet to see that come together. And we've seen it come together for Alcantara. So I'll take Alcantara. Nice. Love it. Zach Eflin versus... Jordan Montgomery. I'm not buying into Zach Eflin quite yet. If I mm. recall correctly, there was one start from Zach Eflin last year where he started using his curveball more. I think yes. it was him. And cool. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, let's go. Like, this is a really good pitch. He got so many whiffs on it. And maybe it was just the opponent he was facing that day. But then the next week he was like, nah, it's gone. <laughs> I don't want to use it again. That's so funny. You mentioned that because we were talking about the box score scanning. And that's when I was really like, oh, well, I can look at the CSW in each start, you know, like, and mm-hmm. I, I saw that, I saw that on the curveball, And then, like you said, it was like, where, where did they go guy? It, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, 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 it was so effective and I don't know. And like, usually for guys like from in the few things I've begun to understand about pitchers, as I've started to talk to them a little bit more, they are creatures of habit and they do want things that they have worked on to have success for them. And as soon as things don't start to succeed from them, if they're not confident in it, they will remove it from their arsenal. But he showed the pitch. He seemed to have confidence in the pitch. The pitch got results and all of a sudden it wasn't there. Jordan Montgomery, I think had an off year and I think his fastball velocity, I believe started to tick up at some point last year. Um, I, I believe in his pitch mix a little bit more. Obviously, when it comes to wins, Jordan Montgomery is probably going to get you more wins. Um, so I think overall, if we're breaking it down by the five categories and removing saves, so really just the four categories, I think Jordan Montgomery, I would take in, in all of them over Zach Eflin. Nice. All right. I'll, I think I'm leaning that way too. This, this last pairing is two guys who missed last year. Yep. Um, one for injury, one for COVID, and then COVID-related reasons. And it's Marcus Stroman versus Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, I, I maybe it's just because I'm still a bitter Orioles fan, but I've never really been into Erod as much as other people have. From a first of all, I'm genuinely concerned about you know he 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 has that heart condition, man. I believe that, that right that. That COVID stuff is scary. And like, not even from, I don't even want to phrase this in like a fantasy analyst way. Like, I just hope he's okay. <laughs> I, I hope, Absolutely. You know, like, I hope he, he, he can pitch well. So with, with that aside, if I put all of that aside, I don't necessarily believe in, in his arsenal as much as I do Stroman. I think it's important for people to realize too that, you know, I, I sent a tweet when uh, the Mets signed or traded for Carrasco and Lindor saying like, man, you know, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Carrasco, Stroman. Um, and obviously there are plenty of responses like we'll never see it happen because one's always going to be injured. And that's fine. Like they're probably right. There probably will rarely be a time in which we go two times fully through the order in which we see all of them. But one of the things that really made me mad was people were like, nah, Stroman sucks. It's like, no, no, no <laughs> right. Stroman does not suck. Marcus Stroman has never had a FIP above four ever 
in his career. Right. He's never had a below league average FIP. He's never even come close to it. And I, I think we don't give him enough credit. Now, obviously, he's a very heavy ground ball pitcher. The Mets have an improved defense for sure, especially with right. Francisco Lindor there. I didn't even realize that. Um, and I think he has a great, you know, with pitch in his slider. He started working on this changeup splitter or whatever that he's going to debut this year. I actually really believe in what Strom is going to do and let people keep sleeping on him. I mean, I think he's on a really good team. It's going to get him wins. He's going to get you strikeouts. He's got a ground ball pitch to get outs. He's got a good defense behind him. I'm in. I'm in. I'm totally into, and I'm in on the player himself, the person he is actually. Hell yeah. Love the guy. You know, even when, you know, when, when everything shut down and there was videos of him pitching on his dock, um, mm. just firing lasers on the dock. And I was like, wow. And just, I don't know. He's, he's, he's very into the team. He's very into being better to help his team. And I love that. I love that part of it, that about him, you know, I love that being a Met fan, uh, that's great. I can't wait to see him, you know, be a part of that team. And I can't, and also, I don't like that. Oh, you can't put Stroman in that mix of pitchers. Yes, you can. <laughs> he's, you part can. Of, he's part of the, it. You know what? The same people who said that are the same people who were like, he turned his back on the team. Like, man, look at how that situation was handled with COVID. And right. like, I don't blame a single damn, you don't know what go, what's going on in that man's life. You right. don't know if his mother is high risk. You don't know any of that stuff. Right. So don't tell me that Marcus Stroman needs to put your fandom ahead of his family. You know what I mean? Like that, that was absolutely insane to me. And then they totally changed their tune when he resigned. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love him. We gotta get my Stroman jersey. Yeah. Oh, what a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, so it cracks me up. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so that was the last of the pairing. I have a question for you. So Zach Plesak and um, Corbin Burns last year, they were drafted way past um, 380p. And this year now they're in the top 60 being drafted. So I wanted to know if you can find a pitcher who is past 380p who maybe you think could make the same exact leap, whether, you know, skills, um, skills or not. You think that anyone who can make that leap into the top 60 for 2021? Yeah, just for maximum chaos. I would love it if it was Matthew Boyd, just because I would feel Ooh. so redeemed if it was. It's yes. not going to be, but God, do I wish. The thing that cracks me up about Matthew Boyd is he actually had like the third highest swinging strike rate in his changeup among starters last year. And if his slider gets back to normal, but you know what? Everyone's going to kill me if I like Mark, if I like Matthew <laughs> Boyd again. Um, I, I am curious to see what Caleb Smith can do with a full healthy, healthy season in Arizona. Nice. Um, I'd like to see... Uh, what he can do, you know, just, I think he needs to tweak that slider and change up how often he goes to them. Um, but I think one realistic dude is, is Mitch Keller. I mean, we haven't seen him yet. You know what I mean? We, we, at the end of 2019, we were like, okay, he put together two really good starts after, you know, literally the worst like Woba on a fastball ever. And then 2020 came around such a weird year for him. I think he was dealing with injury again. What happens if we get 160 innings of the Mitch Keller that we think we can get? Do I think it's going to be top 60? Might be a stretch. Um, but will he be out of the 300s? Probably. I think he can finally crack his way into the top 200 if we finally, or maybe even top 100 if we see the Mitch Keller that we were promised. Nice. I like that choice a lot. Uh, how about anyone past like pick 400 you see any deep sleep not to even enter you know the top range of draft next year but just to maybe provide a little more um you know than we think we might get from that pitcher definitely two two things if i'm going starting pitcher 
I understand his 2020 was abysmal. I understand we do not know if he's a starter or a reliever, but I cannot believe that Carlos Martinez is after pick 400. He's like pick 423 right now. As of now, he's the third starter in St. Louis's rotation. Will that happen? Probably not. Carlos Martinez is not the pitcher that he was in 2020. Um, So I think that's a very, very interesting late round flyer for value. This is also where I'm looking for all my closers. I mean, you you know me, like every year there's an article that comes out that says we're drafting saves wrong. And then every year we do it all over again. Josh (laughs) Stalmont, Josh Stalmont has electric stuff. I do not think he starts the year as Kansas City's closer. I don't think he finishes the year not as Kansas City's closer. He's going way after pick 400. And there could be some at 400. It's free. You know what I mean? Take the upside. And that's a guy who could get you 15, 20 saves by the end of the year. I really like what I saw from him last year. I totally believe that too. And I'm, I'm, I'm living in that range for closers too. I'm living in, I'm living in the JB Wendelkin world. (laughs) Oh, I'm all about that dude. I mean, he, I I forgot what the exact metric was. I retweeted it yesterday because Clay Link wrote about him. He has like, it's literally his fastball and Walker Bueller's fastball that are the two best fastballs in baseball since 2019. I mean, his fastball is amazing. Right. Yes. Good. I feel better about that now. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to ask you about is um, Mr. Dan Straley. Um, mm-hmm. I was just recently in a in a in an M- NFBC drafting hold, and I took him in in round fifty as 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 a possibility that he might come over. And what do you think about that pick? Is is that a good dart throw? I wish, but I think he's he's officially resigned ah, with Lote. Damn yeah, it. yeah. Right. I, 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 and I hate that he had to. I think it was the smart decision for him because the market is absolutely crazy right now. You see all these players from Japan trying to come over, dipping their toe in the water, and then being like, mm, "Actually, no, thanks." Right. Um, I do think he could be back. You know, it's funny. I, I, I know him, and I've been able, I've been fortunate enough to strike up a friendship with him, mm-hmm. and even when I try and remove that, I think there's enough that he could be a back-end starter for a major league team. He's trying to add a cutter this year. Um, so that gives him a fastball slider curveball uh, change and cutter. The change is great. Slider's great. The curveball is more show me, but I think it has potential. Um, I, I just, I dig him. And he's also someone like, man, you want to talk about dudes who engage on Twitter. You want to talk about social media, like, reach out to Dan Straley on Twitter, man. If you have any baseball questions, if you have any questions about pitching whatsoever, he's more than happy to answer both on Instagram and Twitter. So if you ever have a question, you want to talk to a dude who's doing it for a living, reach out to Dan. That's awesome. That's I like that. I like when guys are accessible because, you know, even in the fantasy world, like um, when I first started getting into the podcasting and I was just reaching out to people and asking them simple questions about microphones and, you know, all this stuff. And everyone was just so nice and kind and, Mm -hmm. you know, like really, it really opened up my mind to like, oh, wow, this is this is great. But when, you know, when you see an athlete willing to give back and, you know, it really, it's like, wow, you know, and you, you can't help but to like a person even more, you know, than that. <laughs> when that's totally. the case, right. Like right. 30 Dan Straley jerseys now. <laughs> awesome. All right, Alex, that's going to be it. Um, we officially did the quickest, um, the shortest episode of the Pull Hitter podcast, and I'm hoping nice. to do more like this because this is great. <laughs> Yeah, man, you got to live up to my last name, you know. <laughs> awesome. Again, thank you so much for coming out, Alex. And you want to let everyone know where they could find you and where they could follow your work? 
Oh yeah, sure. You can find me on Twitter at AlexFast8. Uh, just released an article about uh, in defense of non-elevated fastballs. You can check out a pitcher list and yeah, hopefully top 100 coming out in uh, the beginning of February. Awesome. Great. All right, Alex, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Alrighty, folks. Thank you again for joining and tuning in to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Thank you for all the kind words on Twitter. Thank you for your support. Thank you for the listens. This really can't be done without you guys playing the podcast and taking out some time of your day to do that. So again, much appreciative. If you haven't found the time yet to give a rating or review, that would be amazing. If you head over to your Apple or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, if there's a way to leave a review, um, you can go ahead and do so. And let me know on Twitter and I will... DM me, and I will send you some pull hitter swag. That sounds like a good deal. Sounds like a good deal to me. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in again. And remember, be nice to one another. And don't be a bag of shit.